Hello and welcome to the Human Factor Podcast, a series of conversations discussing the topics and themes influencing the world of work today. My name is Michael Esau. I'm a global HR advisor at SAP. And my name is Simon Humphreys, and I'm a solution advisor at SAP. The topic this week is employee experience and well-being. It's a huge, huge topic. You know, what, what, what are some of your thoughts? Oh, well, look, we're all employees ourselves, and we've all had potentially multiple employers. So we've all had different experiences uh, of, of this sort of topic. Um, I'm just fascinated to now hear just you know, stepping back and out of that uh, from first-hand experience and observing that from a, a third party and just talking about the topic now, because I think it's so valuable. So, Simon, I'm in the hot seat this week, so I'll be largely leading the conversation, but I'll be ably supported by yourself. So let's, let's get into this. So our guest this week... Uh, I'm delighted to introduce Gethin Nadine. Uh, Gethin is a psychologist, a regular HR writer and speaker, best-selling employee experience author. Uh, Gethin's chair of the UK government-backed Engage for Success Wellbeing Thought Action Group. And he's been awarded a place as one of the world's top employee engagement influencers in 2019 and 2020. So I'm delighted to introduce Gethin. Gethin, welcome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Really pleasure to be here. Excellent. So this is a huge topic that we're discussing today. And I think what's really you know, crucial, what we found is that the, the, the topic of experience and well-being have somewhat become intertwined, uh, if you like, in recent times. There's no doubt, I think, that organisations are placing much more emphasis on building a better experience. But what does that sort of really entail and how does that manifest impact on the well-being, if you like, of employees? So it'd be great if we could start, Gethin, by, you know, getting your overall perspective around employee engagement and well-being today. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point that you kind of mentioned. I think from my experience here, employee experience, employee engagement, employee well-being are all different things, but they coexist very closely with each other in, in an organisation. They're very symbiotic. Yeah. And so despite the kind of HR industry marketing some of these terms, I think incorrectly sometimes to sell product, I do believe they've got a, a really important place in our organisations. And I've noticed this really increasing trend in my kind of two decades in this space, working engagement experience, where you switch out those words in the description of a product without changing the product at all. Yeah. So we see things like will writing and chocolate making lessons being described as well-being products. And I think sometimes that can just kind of confuse the message of the market. Um, so my view is that employee engagement is the result of a great experience at work. Part of our experiences at work have a very significant effect on our well-being. Um, and so that kind of psychological output, those engagement scores, can actually be a really good measure of the effectiveness of a well-being strategy. Um, and clearly, the events of 2020, uh, employee well-being took centre stage. You know, adoption and attention of employee well-being has been hugely accelerated by the pandemic. But yeah. I do see employee well-being as a subset of the experience and engagement being an output of kind of how we measure all that good stuff that happens within an organisation. It's really interesting, isn't it? I think, as you just said there, that obviously the pandemic has brought everything into the light. But there's no doubting, I think, that we'd reached a turning point probably two, three, four, five years ago. But it's taken something as huge as COVID to make us all pause, step back, realize that the world has turned on its axis. And, and all of a sudden, you know, we're looking at experience now and not quite understanding maybe what it completely entails. But I think we're getting a better handle on what well, what well-being potentially is. So one of the things, Gethin, I wanted to ask, because 
I think we're observing is, is that what the pandemic has made organizations do is take that step back and really reimagine and look at, you know, what's our purpose today? Actually, what is the employee value proposition, if you like? So we're, so we're going back to the EVP days, which did stop. Let's be honest, right? They stopped for whatever reason. So what best practices are you observing in relation to establishing what that employee value proposition really is? Uh, and, and actually, how then does an organization execute against it? Yeah, it's a, a, another really good point. You know, EVP is seen as this kind of old school approach when it, you're exactly right. I think it's still very relevant. It's still there. It gets confused a lot with employer branding. But, you know, I think for most employees now, the deal they get by going to work is no longer just about pay. Yeah. It's kind of establishing, you know, what do I get from you? I can get a salary anywhere, but how are you going to support my life and the people I love and the people I spend my time with and the things I love doing? You know, are you giving me purpose, connection, belonging? Are you going to help me when life gets tough? And the pandemic really showed us that was that kind of pinpoint moment where lots of employees around the world just kind of stopped and thought, I'm working for somebody who doesn't care about me yeah, or I'm yeah. working for somebody who does care about me. Um, you know, and casually kind of look at lots of the stats from multiple countries, 50% of people say they're going to be looking for a new job when the pandemic's over because they were not satisfied with the way their employer supported them. It gives you that impression of, or actually when it came to the crunch, were they really there for me? And I think organisations who look at the EVP and look at the part wellbeing plays in that in particular, they see it much more um, as the, the things that are important to people at work have a foundation in well-being, and we design our experiences and we design the organisation with employee well-being at the centre. Um, and I think it's you know it's obvious from growing consumer attention and the impact that's having on employee well-being, where you know um, employees now want to know how will you take care of them and give them what they need, and if they come to work for you, kind of what do they get in return? If I'm going to give somebody kind of 40 hours a week of my life and I can't bring my whole self to work, and I'm not protecting my well-being, kind of what's the point? And there's so many organizations doing great things now that I think as soon as we've recovered kind of from the pandemic, more and more employees will just be kind of saying, actually, do you know what? I think it's better to work for somebody. Let's forget pay. If I've had the luxury of doing that and I can kind of adjust my salary slightly, that trade-off for somebody who actually cares about me is going to be worth it. Yeah, you mentioned there about you know, purpose comes up all the time, doesn't it? And you mentioned obviously belonging. Um, I was listening to some comments from Jason Averbrook from Leap Gen yesterday evening, talking about, you know, bringing whole self to work. In, in, in his opinion, purpose now trumps everything. Um, and, and he was also then talking about how do you create that sense of belonging? Now, I, I wrote an article for HR Grapevine recently ab about that. What, what are your thoughts on this thing called belonging? How do you create the conditions where somebody actually feels as if they, they do belong? Yeah, many years ago, um, people kind of, I think people kind of over-romanticized belonging at work and purpose at work. Um, and, and clearly, lots of people go to work because they have to go to work. They have to pay for their rent and their mortgage. They have to put food on the table. And so... We talk about purpose as kind of being actually, can those people have a purpose? You know, can somebody working in a checkout on minimum wage really have a purpose at work? And is that kind of something that they're really interested in when they're just trying to make ends meet? And so um, for those people, I think it's starting to establish that your purpose doesn't have to be working for this big progressive company that takes environmental sustainability really seriously. It can be about 
I just want to feel valued for the job I'm doing, recognised for a job well done, feeling like I contribute to the organisation. I think all that stuff is really, really important. And so I think purpose and belonging is just making sure that I know I contribute and I'm getting recognised for that contribution. And then the next level up of that is I'm working for an organisation that is achieving things that are making the world a better place or making our communities a better place. So I think we kind of confuse the big messages of belonging, but you know, we all know, right? I don't. Th I don't believe anyone wants to go to work to do a bad job. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think we talk about this a heck of a lot. That when a human being wakes up in the morning, you will bring characteristics of yourself to work. You will want certain things to happen for you to go home at the end of that day and go, "I had a good day. I, I, I achieved. I felt really valued." And so, if we take the denominator that people come to work and we truly believe that they want to do a great job. The reality is, though, for many, that's difficult. It doesn't happen. It could be the absence of purpose. It could be they don't quite feel connected. They don't maybe have great relationships with peers or their leader. So this is when we then start to come back to what's the impact of experience or engagement? What's the impact on my well-being? So where do you believe strides still need to be made in relation to supporting the well-being of employees? I think one of the things I'm talking about most at the moment when I kind of speak to large global organizations or kind of speak at conferences and, and things like that is the idea that well-being needs to be seen as an investment, not a cost to the organization. Mm. So well-being isn't just about reducing voluntary turnover or reducing absence rates. And it's not even about removing or limiting presenteeism within an organization. It's about understanding that the more we care and support for our people, the more we get out of them. Yeah. When people are, employees are happy and healthy and engaged, they design better products, they deliver better customer service, they work better together, they volunteer for projects more, they collaborate more. And we know now from a huge amount of evidence right across the world that there is a statistically significant correlation between those organizations that score high on employee well-being and engagement and how they outperform in terms of profit and shareholder return. And so I think organizations just kind of need to embrace that idea more that actually the more we invest in well-being is about creating a better organization. It's not about limiting some of that risk. It's funny, isn't it? Just listening to you then. It, it, it's obvious. Yet it isn't obvious, if that makes sense. There is still this, you know, but but really, isn't that just about soft and fluffy? Isn't it just about being nice? And this is this taking us back to a place we don't want to, but we we don't want to be. But actually, it's common sense. If people come to work, feel engaged, feel connected, they feel aligned. You know, they know what they're there to do. The organisation takes care of them. You're going to get discretional effort from more than less of your workforce, surely. Yeah, and I think it's for a long time. I think we knew this but we didn't necessarily have the evidence to back up some of the yeah. way we're feeling. And so I think with more and more organizations like Gallup and all those kind of people who are really starting to measure this stuff, um, we're starting to realize that it doesn't matter if you're kind of a LinkedIn or a Google or an Apple, you could be 50 people and you can still achieve these things. You can still yes. give people purpose when you, if you employ three people, you know, right. they can play a part, they still want recognition. So we kind of got a little bit enamored by all these big gestures when you do think about that purpose and the belonging, you know, part of what you just said then about kind of when people don't get that at work, when they don't feel like they're recognized or they have purpose, that's when they start to do things like burnout. So that's when it starts to affect well-being. So back to my earlier point, that's where these three things kind of are pretty symbiotic together, engagement, experience and well-being, because a great experience at work 
um, improves your engagement, which ultimately improves your well-being. And so it's really important that people grasp that, I think. And I think they, you're absolutely right. I think we are now moving away from this being fluffy stuff, but we are still dragging some people into 2021 to think about this stuff in this way. Yeah, I, no, I, I, absolutely. And, and you know, you mentioned there about that burnout, but you also mentioned earlier on about the, that high percentage of people coming out of the pandemic who, who data suggests will potentially look to go and work in another organization. Now, this is, this is, I think, a huge part of the so what of this as well. You know, I think you and I in a previous conversation said, is there data to suggest that this, the millennial or this generational group, you know, the tenure of this group is, is less or more or whatever. You said, no, there's no data to support yeah. that. But equally, though, I think this group are very values driven. So they won't put up with it, perhaps, as much as maybe in my generation. Fair yeah. point? Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes general di generational differences are more obvious. Sometimes they're less obvious than we might think. Um, but you, you have to look at the environment in which people under the age of 40 grew up in over yeah. the last kind of 30 to 40 years. And they've grown up with kind of things like wide-scale terrorist attacks. So kind of we, our security has been rocked like it never has been before, you know, 20 years ago. And they've gone through kind of a couple of economic downturns, which has significantly affected the under 40s. You know, they've been pretty royally screwed over twice now. And part of the two economic financial crises we've had have disproportionately affected people under the age of 40. Yeah. So yeah, you take the UK now, people kind of boomers, the kind of people over the age of 50, one in five are millionaires by the capital that they have in pensions and property. Um, and that's significantly different to the landscape of those people under the age of 40. And you know, we look at the stagnant wage rises that we've had right across the country um, for, for 30 odd years. You have a group of people that are growing up in a very different environment to anyone that's grown up before. Um, and it's a very, it's a, it's a difficult real, reality to get your head around. Both my parents in their 70s feel like we've got it easier than, than they have, you know, post-war children who kind of grew up with, you know, all that economic recovery following kind of the, 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 the mid-40s. Mid um, but it's just very different. It's not unfair. It's not unjust. We haven't got it easier. It, the world has just changed and people are struggling to keep up with that. And that experience has affected. So actually, you look at most young people now across the world don't really believe in capitalism. They don't believe that if they work hard, they mm. will live a successful life. So they are now defaulting to what you've said around purpose, which is, I want to lead a worthwhile life. And the measure of how I success, uh, measure that success is not necessarily going to be the houses and the cars and the, the, the salary I get, which is historically what people have kind of expected success looks like. Oh, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, just just listening to you there talking about that external perspective, that's really made me stop and, and, and pause and think, oh, God, yeah, I, I hadn't thought about some of that. And, mm -hmm. and and you can't ignore it. It is part and parcel of that whole person. It comes back to this whole person and the the, the climate and, and, and the culture that we're all operating in. So so let me ask you this question then, Gethin, because I think the, the, the bit where we've seen some strides, but there still needs to be a huge amount of work is understanding that and yeah. appreciating that. So listening and understanding, you know, the sort of the sentiment, if you like, of employees has become a huge topic. Of course it has. Uh, you know, how on earth are you going to understand what the hell is going on? So what what are your thoughts around, you know, that listening piece and and truly, truly understanding the sentiment? I think it's, it's, it's a really important part of modern life, right? The avenues we have 
to to have our voice heard by people through things like social media is huge. You know, anyone can create a YouTube account and get millions of followers potentially, yeah. and use that as a platform to tell the world what you think. Um, and employee voice is a really big part of well-being now. You know, everyone wants to be heard. Listening and responding is a really, really important part of the employee experience. But life moves fast and people's needs change very quickly. You know, we saw that in, in 2020. You know, how we ask our employees for their thoughts and when we ask them is really important. So we now know that kind of asking people their opinions through surveys once a year is probably too long. You know, people get frustrated in that 12-month period. When we tell people, when we ask people their opinion and they tell us something is wrong in the organization and we don't listen to it or we don't address it, that can cause quite a lot of harm for that individual who doesn't feel like they've been listened to. And so I think we need this plan to kind of move quickly and feed back to our people that we've listened to them, what we're going to do about it, if we can react. But it's important that we give people that platform, that they have their voices, and now also that they feel like they're heard. And I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of my customers, Gethin, during the pandemic, pulsed regularly. Um, they'd never really been in a virtual environment, so it was a massive learning for them. Leaders had to step up. HR was slightly different. A new type of leadership was unearthed. So leaders who are more empathetic seem to do really well. Leaders who are more task orientated, not as well. Can I just get some of your thoughts and your observations on the importance of leadership in that creation of an experience? You know, for me, it's almost a make or break. It's quite binary. I mean, it's everything, right? Like anyone listening to this podcast now could think back to school and remember the worst teacher you had and remember the best teacher you had. You remember the one that inspired you and made you laugh and made you think differently. And you remember the one that treated you badly. Yeah. Um, and there was a really interesting report I read recently, some really kind of pretty in-depth research into NBA basketball players in the US. And it was looking at those that got coached by coaches that were really kind of harsh, who spoke to them in a pretty mean way, who were pretty horrible to them, forced them to work too hard, didn't listen to them. And because generally the idea of kind of what we probably see in an organization is a bad manager. Yeah. Um, and they followed them through their careers over kind of 20, 30, 40 years and see how that impacted them. And they never recovered from it. They basically found that it affected their performance right the way through to retirement. And they said that actually those people re accounting for the, the state that they were playing basketball in, the level at which they played, the amount of money they got paid, the teams they played for, accounting for all of these different other variables, they found that one of the biggest drivers of success was whether you got um, coached by somebody who was inspiring and supported you and encouraged you. So again, no surprise, right? Anyone can kind of think casually that, yeah, that sounds right. But a huge amount of evidence that it, the impact lasts a lot longer and runs a lot deeper than we think. And and obviously, if you get a bad experience, that could be really, really negative. It's interesting, isn't it? It's topical. SAP has announced, um, and this is wonderful, by the way, uh, a Global Wellbeing Day on the 20th of April, where all employees are being encouraged to take a day off to recharge, re-energize. I think I saw Channel 4 do something very, very similar this week also, right? And a couple of their uh, employees commented. Is this something you would like to see more widely, Gethin? Yeah, definitely. I think it's something I recommend our customers do whenever they can um, to kind of take ownership of well-being, give people permission to switch off. You know, it's very difficult for us to do that in modern life. Uh, and I've always believed that workplace well-being was kind of far less about really grand gestures and much more about what we do to show we care. Um, and so I've seen you know, a pretty big impact of employees just giving staff more time and acknowledging their struggles. So I have a, a, a customer who gives their staff one day off a year 
just to deal with their finances because they know that's stressful and boring and taxing and people don't want to use their own holiday to sit down and find the better utility or insurance deal. Yeah. So they allow people an extra day to do that. Um, and the feedback they've had is huge. And, um, you know, I guess this year, like parents find it really difficult for self-care and stuff, right? So, you know, with all the benefit schemes that I've been running over the last 20 years, anything that will give people more time ranks yeah. pretty highly when it comes to their well-being. I think, again, it goes back to the theme of what we're talking about today, which is the experience takes into account the whole person and not just the person who comes to work on a day-to-day -day basis. So, Gethin, we could talk to you for hours. Uh, you know, it's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you for your for your time today. So I've got one last question, if I may. What would be, so what would be maybe your sort of top two, three tips or sort of bits of guidance for, for anybody listening today and, and, and organizations that perhaps are wrestling with this notion of experience, well-being and, and, and how it's intertwined? So I think we, we've covered a few of them today, right? So I think um, one of the big things is asking people what they need. We can't make assumptions about needs. We don't assume we know what parts of the employee experience we need to fix. So we've got to involve employees in finding out what they are and fixing those. And I think most people would be probably surprised by what their people say when you ask them what they really need. Yeah. I saw a very uh, progressive company recently with a great culture, great social side of the business, ask their people what they wanted. And they just said they wanted more annual leave and to be given sick pay. Uh, they didn't care about those gimmicks and free ice creams and coffee in the office. They wanted some of those basic things covered. Yeah. Um, secondly, I think it's kind of do what you can. I think we can get carried away with all the studies around kind of Netflix and Google and LinkedIn and Apple and all these big companies with huge resource and millions of dollars worth of money to spend. Get an investment for anything at the moment is going to be difficult. So I think it's important that anyone who's looking at well-being on the employee experience builds a robust business case that links to the organization's goals, even yeah. if those goals aren't people related. Um, and I think, you know, our needs as people haven't changed for much for hundreds of years. You know, exactly as we've said today, employees want a voice. They want to feel like they play a part in a project or an organization. They want to be recognized. And all those things don't have to cost too much. And lastly, um, I think you have to make well-being and the employee experience everyone's business. You know, yourself, Michael and Simon, you know, the three of us all deal with HR and stuff like that. And we talk about employee experience with HR engagement, but it's not just HR's problem to solve. Yeah, uh, it, it covers sales, product development, customer experience, as we mentioned, leadership and management. And so I think the entire business needs to understand its part and how it will better from better kind of benefit from creating an organization centered around the employee and the employee's needs. And Catherine, if I may, we've talked a lot in the in this session about the employer and what they can do for well-being. What about the employee themselves? You know, is there a responsibility for the employee for their well-being also? It's a really good question. Clearly, we have to take ownership of well-being ourselves. It, it, there are lives, right? You know, if you look at all the data suggesting that you know forty percent of deaths globally can be prevented by um, the measures we can all take as individuals. Um, so we we have to take ownership of that. But I think employers just really need to, as a very basic, make sure they aren't the cause of any of these problems, and then actually give employees some of the support. Because you look at mental health support in almost every developed country around the world. The mental health support from the government just is not there. Around half of people in the UK, for example, get the mental health support they need from the NHS. Um, and that's even before it was overwhelmed during the pandemic. So although people have to take responsibility, the employer is a really trusted part of somebody's life. And so I think getting direction from the employer and getting the employer to encourage them to take ownership and then kind of point them in the right direction is a, is a really good place to be in. 
So, Gethin, thank you very much for your, your time today. We really appreciate your inputs and thoughts. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Simon, I thought that was a really interesting conversation with Gethin. I really enjoyed that. What would be one of your takeaways from the conversation we had with Gethin today? Yeah, I really love the conversation around seeing well-being, maybe not as a cost, but as an investment in our people. I think that really resonated for me. And I, I reflect on my own personal experience, you know, working with SAP and through the pandemic, the investments they made through that to keep me engaged and to keep my well-being front and centre. Uh, and, and that's rewarded with my loyalty to, to SAP as a result of that, because I enjoy coming to work every day. And I still enjoy that, even though times have been difficult. How about you? Yeah, I, I was really, you know, interested in getting thoughts about listening and and really understanding what's important to, you know, to employees today. And, and, and you know, we know that experience, engagement and well-being are so intertwined. But I think it was the point that he made about do what you can, right? Irrespective of, of, of the size of organization. And you mentioned there about making the investments, but sometimes the small things make a difference. So it's not always about big grandiose gestures, but I, I think that was a real takeaway for me though. Do, do what you can. So um, no, it's brilliant. Great. Thank you, Simon. And we'll be back for our next podcast and not sure which one of us will be in the hot seat, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.